I'm asking that you would shed light on the word this morning. I pray that the eyes of our understanding would be opened. Would you come, Holy Spirit, instruct us. You are the teacher. Reveal truth to our hearts and draw us into the knowledge of God. And I pray you'd stand here with me. You'd hold my hand. Let me speak as an oracle of your truth this morning. Give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, turn with me uh, in your Bible to Romans chapter 5. We are going to continue down the same path we started last week. A series called Glory and Tribulations. And last week we kind of went through uh, the first five verses of Romans 5 and just identified Romans 5 as a real important summary of uh, the, the first several chapters of the book of Romans. And real, uh, there's real critical information given right here in Romans 5, 1 through 5. And I think it's critical yet neglected. And uh, many of these truths have not been expounded on in the church, uh, at least in my experience. But I think it's critical and crucial for us to understand these things, uh, especially as it relates to the issue of uh, tribulation and hope and the love of God. And so there's, there are uh, several components to what Paul is trying to describe here in Romans 5. And so what we did last week was we gave an overview, and, and now we're just going to begin to work uh, week by week, work through these phrases. And so there's each one of them are full of uh, in, incredible just nuggets that we've got to understand. And so uh, let's read through Romans 5, 1 through 5 again, and then we'll just start on this, on this first uh, topic. We'll talk about justification by faith uh, this week. So here we go, Romans 5, verse 1. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. I just, I tell you what, these verses have become a a continual sustenance to my heart over the last several weeks. And so uh, let's go ahead and just look through this, this issue of justification, that first phrase, having been justified by faith. Now, justification by faith is a massive topic. Let's just settle that on the front end. That's a huge topic that deserves its own series. It should be, you know, an 8 to 12 week course. Uh, I'm not going to do that to you. What I prefer to do is to get a good grip on uh, what the scripture says about a thing and then just give you the, the, the uh, conclusions and then you can go back and study it yourself. And if you don't understand that, that that's how I, I, I teach, that's generally what I do, is I generally give you the, the, uh, the conclusions, and I hope that you go back and explore the ideas and do the math on it. And so um, this issue of justification, it is vast, and there's, t- there's a ton of scholarship on it. And it's sad because it's such a wonderful uh, topic. It's a major component to our, our faith, 
And yet, so much of the scholarship that's out there is arguing. And the one guy is arguing uh, with the other guy, scholar. And so this guy will write a book, and he's stating all his points. And then this guy will write a book in opposition of this guy. And you know exactly what they're doing because they're, they're, they're even in their titles. One guy will have a title, and then this other guy will have a title with one word changed, sort of trying to hit this guy with his title. And they kind of go back and forth. And that's not a new thing. That's actually uh, historic in Christianity um, back to the time of the fathers. And I'm not going to call anybody out, but I'll just say it that way. It's historic that this issue of justification has been something that has been argued about over and over and over and over. And so rather than getting into some theological discussion and dealing with what the arguments are, I really don't care about the arguments. I care about Jesus. Amen. And I want to just present some thoughts on justification as it relates to Jesus and, and, and what he's done in uh, the cross and, and over this issue of justification. So uh, we talked about this last week, but just to bring us up to speed, this term justification is a really, really important term. And uh, for a long time in my Christianity, I didn't have any idea what it really meant. It was like, we're justified, We've got justification, that sounds good. Justification, that sounds like a good thing, yay. But without any real hard understanding of what justification is about. So I found out that justification, this term justifier, justification or justified, any version of that, the Greek term that's used in the New Testament, uh, it's a term that was um, used in the Roman courts of law. And when an uh, individual was on trial, and they had all these accusations against them, uh, and when that individual was found innocent, when they were acquitted of whatever the, the uh, arguments were against them, when they were acquitted, they would use this term. And, and it's the term that we use, justification. And so the, the, the word literally means a proclamation of innocence over you. It literally means that you've been acquitted. And when I saw that, I don't know the effect that that has on you, but the effect that it had on me, I felt something sweet come over me. Because I realized justification is more than forgiveness. In forgiveness, we understand that we've done a wrong, but God's gracious and he's forgiven us of that wrong. And it seems to me in forgiveness, there's still a great recognition of the wrong that we've that we've done but this term justification it 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 forgiveness enables justification because justification is forgiveness plus if i can say it that way justification is uh yes you're forgiven but more than forgiven you're innocent you're proclaimed innocent you are acquitted you are free. It's a step further than, yes, you did the wrong and no longer uh, are we going to hold that against you. It's saying you are actually not wrong any longer. You're actually acquitted. You're innocent. And that point, beloved, that point is so important to our Christianity because God doesn't look at you like, yeah, you did a whole bunch wrong, and I've forgiven you, and you just kind of kind of have to pay me back. I think many of us, we kind of live our Christianity thinking like that. 
But instead, God looks at us and he goes, no, no. Innocent. You are innocent before me. Fully acquitted. Fully justified. And so when he is looking on me, he is not looking at the guy that did all the wrong and is just saying, well, I'm, I'm letting it go this time. He's actually looking at me and ascribing to me the very innocence that Jesus has before him. That is huge. That, that idea is monumental. And the, the truth of the matter is, most of us don't really live our Christianity in light of that idea. We might believe we're forgiven, but how many truly believe that when we stand before the Lord, it's innocent? You are innocent. Now that's massive to me. And I, I, I've been saying that in my, in my prayer. Uh, as I, throughout the last uh, month, I've just been saying it. I'm innocent before you. I'm innocent before you. And it is, it is causing my heart to come alive in another whole other way, a fresh way. I'm innocent before you. Now, this word justification, it's used uh, throughout the Scripture about 50 times, and a third of those times it's used in the book of Romans. A third of the times it shows up in the book of Romans. So Romans gives us the uh, massive amount of teaching on this issue of, of justification. Now, here's the thing about justification. Though that term in the New Testament is a legal term, and when you read most commentators, they will go to the legal issues, the legality of this term. You've been justified, you've been acquitted, you've been proclaimed innocent, and they leave it in this realm of legality. But the truth of it is, it's, it's a legal term that has uh, specific implications as it relates to intimacy and love and relationship with the Lord. In fact, justification is a result of relationship. Let me just say it that way. It's a result of relationship. So it's not simply a legal matter between God and man. It's a relationship matter between God and man. It has to do with intimacy. And I want to illustrate that with you. So let's go back and in, uh, in, in turn to Exodus chapter 34. And I want to look at where this idea originates in the Old Testament. So you can get a, a, a broader picture of what Paul is referring to. Paul is not the first guy, though he gives us uh, the most theology on justification and uses the term more than anybody. Uh, he uses it, uh, I mean, far more than anybody because the, the next book that uses it is uh, Galatians. And so Paul wrote that as well. And he uses it about six or eight times there in Galatians. So he uses it about half the times that it's used in the New Testament. A little bit more is, is Paul. But uh, he's not the originator of the idea. That's the, big, that's the big point. And so in Exodus 34, we have Moses. And Moses is on the mountain with the Lord. And the Lord is going to pass before Moses. And he's going to proclaim his name to the Lord. Now, it's just a great thing to, to say multiple, multiple times. When the Lord proclaims his name, he's not just telling you what to call him. When the Lord proclaims his name, he's declaring what he's like. He's declaring his nature. 
The proclamation of the name of the Lord is an impartation of the revelation of who God is. And we've got, we've got to remember that point. That's, I mean, that's just something you can just live in. So when, whenever you see God declaring his name, declaring attributes about himself, he's trying to, the point is, he's trying to give you understanding of himself. He's trying to crack the door of revelation and let you peer into his heart. And so he does it here for us in Exodus 34. And in verse 6, the Lord passes before Moses, and here's what he says. He says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And when you're reading through there and you're studying intimacy, most of the time people put a period right there and just leave off the rest of that. Because <laughs> he says, by no means clearing the guilty. And we go, oh, well, I'm just going to focus on this, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and, 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 and gracious and long-suffering. And let's stay away from the fact that he's going to visit sin on the fathers of the third and fourth generation. <laughs> sin of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation. Let's just stay away from that point. Let's focus on how he's nice. But the point is, if you want to know God, you can't sort of buffet line God. You got to get him for who he is. And I tell you, all of who he is will make your heart come alive more than just part of who he is. Amen. And so if you're studying the knowledge of God and you're, and you're wanting to meditate on intimacy, don't put the period right there on... Uh, you know, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. And, and, and don't put the period there, leaving off by no means clearing the guilty. you got to get that point. And here's why. If there was a judge who, uh, say you had a, your mom had been, uh, you know, uh, mugged by a mugger. And, and the mugger beat your mom up and took her purse and charged her credit cards up and all that. And your mom was... You know, hurt and, and stolen and defrauded from, uh, stolen from and defrauded. And, and then you went before this judge and everybody said, hey, this is awesome. This guy is a good judge. It's going to be good. And, and he looks at, the, at the, the mugger guy and he goes, you know what? No problem for you. Go free. Most of you be like, oh, hold on. My mom's got a broken arm and he stole our money. What do you mean? No problem for you. Go free. And see, so therein we have this little uh, tension. A good judge actually punishes sin <laughs> for real. And we've got to get that down, and we've got to allow that to actually cause our hearts to come alive and fall in love with God. That he's a good God who actually doesn't clear the guilty. And that's an important point. Now here's the thing. By no means clearing the guilty... Sounds like it's completely in opposition to the God that does justification. Because justification is clearing the guilty. And I'm sitting there staring at that going, wow. Now how can you, as a facet of your nature, be the God that by no means you clear the guilty and you're the God that justifies everybody by faith? How's that possible? 
Well, we get facets of his nature right there in the beginning. He says, merciful, long-suffering, gracious, forgiving, iniquity, transgression, and sin. So we see that this by no means clearing the guilty, it's not even, it's actually not even, um, you know, it doesn't actually even flow directly with those first phrases about God. So there's got to be some uh, qualifiers on that phrase. Because if he's the God that's merciful, he's the God that forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, and he by no means clears the guilty, there's got to be more to the by no means clears the guilty. Am I making sense? So I, I look that phrase up. I go, what is this? And I find out that scholar after scholar after scholar differs on what that phrase is. And the reason why is the, the kind of literal way that that thing would be translated from the Hebrew is... Acquitting, not acquitting. The quote-unquote, by no means clearing the guilty, those Hebrew words would be acquitting, not acquitting, or vindicating, not vindicating. And so you look at that and you go, so what's he trying to say? He is or he isn't. He does or he doesn't. He declares him innocent or not. Which is it? And the idea is he acquits, not, he, he, he acquits but not acquits is this, that he acquits but not fully. In other words, those who are sinful, some get acquitted and some don't. Huh, that's interesting. So how does it work? Well, it's a Jewish idiom. And you have to read the Jewish commentators and the Targumists, the guys that actually wrote the commentaries on the Hebrew text, to find out that that's an idiom and to even know what that phrase is really about. And, and the Jewish idiom is this. It's the idea that those that return to God, he acquits. And those that won't, he doesn't. He clears the the repentant. He justifies the repentant. But those who will not repent, he does not justify them. And this is massive. And the reason why this is massive is it's not just something he does. It's something he is. It's actually part of his nature. That God loves to set them free and proclaim them innocent who will return to him and repent. But if they will not return, he will not overlook their sin. Let me tell you something. That is a good judge. Amen. That's a good judge. And so he can be the God who fully justifies and is fully just. It's powerful. And so this, con- this concept of justification, it's in no way some sort of like, just get out of free jail card just because you say, okay, Jesus is my Lord. Okay, bam, you can just do whatever you want. Now you're justified. It's not like that. Justification is for those that turn to God. And if your heart is turned to God, if you've said, Jesus, help. If you said, Jesus, save me. He says, you're innocent. You're innocent. Beloved, this is a cornerstone truth of our faith. It is so powerful. It should cause your heart to soar. And and I tell you this, in the measure that it doesn't cause our heart to just bloom in God, I tell you, it's the measure that we're veiled over this truth. Because the fact that God, who is perfectly pure, would look at you and I, who are filthy and broken down in sin. I don't know about you, but I did everything I could to go to hell fast. I mean, given and left to my own devices, I did everything I could to prove how sinful I could be. 
It's like I was trying to set a record. That's how sin is. It dominates. But the idea that the perfect God could look down at me just when I say help because I can't make it on my own. And he'd say, it's already taken care of. And I see you as innocent. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. And so therefore, I don't serve God now to try to get him to forgive me. I serve God because I am forgiven. I don't live holy now trying to pay off my debt. I live holy because he paid for my debt. I don't live passionately you know, uh, pursuing God because I'm trying to get him to like me. I, I do it because he does like me. It changes everything. I'm not trying to work off something. You can't work it off. Do you get that point? You can't work off your sin. That's how dominating and dark wickedness is. You can't work it off. The human condition is irreparably broken. Sin is irreparably sinful. Wickedness has fully permeated our being and we cannot overcome it. And that's why it's so shocking. You and I, who are sold into sin and wicked to the core, that this kind God who justifies actually looks at us and says, you're innocent. That's massive. That is so awesome. That's awesome. That makes me want to serve God. And so, he's the God that acquits sin. He's the one that acquits those who repent and the one who won't acquit those who don't repent. Now, throughout the Old Testament, we get all of these uh, foreshadowings. We get these little prophetic words and these prophetic pictures that describe this issue of justification. Paul breaks it down, and and in some ways I almost feel like Paul broke down Romans 4 and 5 just for the theologians to, to, to busy themselves for decades. Because really... The proclamation of innocent, he, he, I mean, he, he summarizes it in, in a few verses. He, he says, like, uh, we believe because, uh, I mean, we're justified because we believe in the God who justifies. It's that simple. Do you believe in the God who justifies? Because that's where our faith has to rest. Do we believe in the God that looks down upon us in our wicked state and says, innocent? That's it. That's the crux of the matter. That's what Paul is identifying in in Romans, uh, really, 1 through 5. But through the Old Testament, we get little pictures of it. In Isaiah 45, he says this in verse 25. Isaiah prophesies, and he says, In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Now think about that. 750 years before man is justified before God, God declares justification will come to all the offspring of Israel. And I believe right there he's talking about the natural offspring as well as the spiritual offspring. And then in Isaiah 53, verse 11, and it's going to come up on your screen, but if you want, just, just flip over there. This, when we get Isaiah 53... When we really understand this concept of justification and we get Isaiah 53, 
It will be a, I mean, it will be a light to your heart. Isaiah 53. Let's just, I got to pick it up in verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. Think about that. It pleases the Father to make Jesus' soul an offering for sin. Isaiah 53 is such a powerful, powerful chapter. And unfortunately, in the the daily reading in in the Jewish synagogue of the Old Testament, when they read through a chapter every day and they, they lay it all out, there's one chapter in the Old Testament they don't read. Isaiah 53. It's the crux of the nature of who God is. Who is God? He's the one that's merciful, gracious, long-suffering, forgiving, iniquity, transgression, and sin. Vindicating and not vindicating. Justifying and not justifying. And Isaiah 53 spells it out beforehand. How is he going to do the justification? How is he going to do the proclamation of innocence? Because in the Old Testament, it wasn't a proclamation of innocence. It was simply blood of bulls and goats that was shed, that that covered the sin. But God was going to do something that was going to call men innocent before him. How? Isaiah 53 tells us, oh, that they would read it. He said he's going to make his soul an offering for sin. And he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God is going to be excited about this. Oh, Israel, if you could only see. And look at verse 11. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. What's he talking about? He says he's going to see what the offering of his soul for sin produces. It's going to bring him great satisfaction. Can I tell you something? When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't look at you and you go, man, you're just not living up. Man, you're disappointing me. Man, you're a bother. You know what he looks at you and how he feels? He goes, oh, you satisfy me. Because he looks at the labor of his soul And he is satisfied. What's the labor of his soul? You. He looks at you. When you pray, you go, Jesus. He goes, oh, yes, the satisfaction of my soul. That's how he answers you. Oh, yes, the one that soothes my inner man. You're the one that soothes his heart. Look, you don't have to fight your way into his presence. You've been given access freely by the blood of Jesus to come to the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. And I love to say this, I need it all the time. The door's open. That's the point. He goes, hey, the door to the throne is open. Why? Because you are the one that satisfies him. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. That's you. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. Again, that phrase is funny, and and the commentators, they, they disagree on it. 
But after you do a little study, after you do a little reading, what you realize is by his knowledge equals by what he goes through, by what he knows through experience. By what he goes through, he's going to justify many. And Isaiah is prophesying beforehand how this proclamation of innocence over your life could even be true. He goes, by what he's going to go through, many will be declared innocent. How? How? The next phrase. Because he will bear the iniquities. He shall bear their iniquities. Do you get it? Me and you, in our sin, destitute and lost, Destined to destruction. Let me tell you something. There is no other option for humanity. Humankind is sinful. Sin destines you for destruction. Not simply eternal separation from God. Yes, eternal separation from God. But eternal torment in the lake of fire that was prepared for Satan and his angels. Sin separates man from God forever. There is no other option. You can't sort of be a good person. You can't sort of pick another path. You can't come to enlightenment. You're not going to become, you know, the meditative person on the crystal and all of a sudden evolve into God. It's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Humankind is doomed. But God... He had a plan. All he wants to do is declare us innocent. Why? Because it's part of his nature. It's how he is. And so, he says, through Isaiah, I'm going to send my servant. And he will bear their iniquities. Your sin was put on Jesus on the cross before you ever actually did one. Think about that. Before you ever did one, he bore your iniquities. And the issue simply becomes, will you ask him for help? Will you turn to him so you can be justified? Oh, the gospel is good. This is good. This is really, really, really good. This is not help a hundred old people across the road. This is not, you know, work and work and work and work, keep all the commandments. This is not meditate until you, you know, all of a sudden you know what your belly button really looks like and then you become God. This is none of that. This is awesome. This is, I am so broken down, I got nothing. I got nothing to offer. I'm doomed forever, but God says I'm innocent. This is awesome. I love this. I can't. I couldn't have aced the test, but he gave me a hundred. Because Jesus knew all the answers. How cool is this? It's the easiest A you've ever gotten. And guess what? You really got it. You really got it. It's just by faith. It's not that. It's not that faith that's, you know, well, I believe there, you know, I've got it, therefore I can just do whatever I want. That's not, that's, James nails us on that. You read Paul and you read James and, and Paul goes, well, we're justified by faith and, and not the works of the law. And James goes, yeah, yeah, so we see that we're justified by works. 
Paul said we're justified by faith and not the works of the law. And James goes, yeah, that's right. We're justified by works. But, but, but Paul said faith. James goes, yeah, that's right, by works. And simply he goes, you know, you say you have faith without works. He goes, I'll show you my faith by my works. And the issue is this. It's not some, you know, greasy way into the kingdom of God. Paul's not preaching that. He's trying to say you can't do the works of the law. You can't keep the Ten Commandments and then be justified. Nobody can. He goes, that's why it's by faith. And James comes along and says, and therefore, if you have faith, you'll show it by the way you live. He just ties it together. They're not in contradiction. They're actually totally united. So we don't work to try to get justified. We just live in gratitude of our justification, and therefore the works happen. I am so thankful that I am not doomed to hell anymore. I am so thankful that God is the one that justifies. I am so thankful that Jesus bore my sin. That's horrifying and wonderful in the same thought. Now think about that. Just like go through it in your mind. Do the math in your mind. Your sin, the personal sins that you committed, Jesus goes on me. Put it on me. Put it on me. My lies, my perversions, my hatred, my anger, my brokenness. Jesus shows up and goes, I'll take that. I'll take that. It's huge. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their sins. Beloved, he's borne your sin. He's carried away your sorrow. And it says earlier in Isaiah 53, yet we esteemed him smitten by God and afflicted. We thought it was because he was cursed. No, it's because he is the blessed He's the chosen one, the intercessor who's numbered with the transgressors. And in the single most powerful act of intercession in all humanity, this man named Yeshua from Galilee, who was God in the flesh, actually undergoes the great exchange. All the sin from all humanity for all time is placed upon him. It's so intense, he sweats drops of blood. And every other, every person that believes in him, their sins are expiated, cleansed, set free. There's a proclamation of innocence. Justified. You've been proclaimed innocent. Beloved, this is the foundational truth of the bridal paradigm. Song of Solomon 1.5, Song of Solomon 1.5, I'm dark but lovely. The idea of dark but lovely is, I'm broken and wicked, but he has proclaimed me innocent. Ah! All justification by faith is, is the bedrock of the bridal paradigm. That God could fully love ones like you and I. And not just fully love us, but say we're beautiful. He's the God who takes ashes and makes them beauty. He's the God who takes wickedness and says, innocent.
He's the God that loves the harlot. He's the God that gets down in the dirt with the woman caught in adultery. He's the God that loves you and me. And it's Hosea 2. Justification is Hosea 2. Here she is. She's doing sacrifices to demons in Hosea 2. And he goes, I'm going to remove from her mouth the names of all the false gods, all the Baals. I'll take those names from her mouth. But instead he says to her, I will betroth you. I will marry you. I am going to join myself to you in righteousness. And he goes, and I am saying over you, you are a virgin. That term is the only term a man would use in describing his marriage to a virgin. But she is clearly not a virgin. She's clearly been worshiping other gods and been playing the harlot. That's how that's possible. Justification is how that is possible. Because he's proclaimed us innocent. Now, there's this interesting paradox in justification. You guys doing okay? Okay. If we're done, we can just do an altar call. Let me give you the paradox. And it's just this. The paradox of justification is this. Mankind wants to justify himself. God wants to justify man. When mankind justifies himself, he condemns God. When God justifies man, man is set free. When man says, I will justify myself without you, God, man will be condemned. In other words, God and man are after the same thing, but when man tries to do it, he's condemned, and when God does it, man is justified. Stunning. And basically, all of our life, what's going on in the world is this. We watch man try to justify himself before God. Try to proclaim himself innocent. Try to say he doesn't deserve anything negative and try to, try to proclaim his own worth and his own righteousness. In Proverbs 17, it says this. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. When man justifies himself, he condemns God. And what we see in every false religion is man finding his own way to God. Man justifying himself. What we see in Christianity is God finding his way to man. Sacrificing himself in the proclamation of our innocence. But Think about this, beloved. This is how you and I live. I tell you, most of our walk with God is about us and God fighting over who will justify us. Are you going to declare yourself innocent or are you going to declare God innocent? Even when you sin, are you going to declare God innocent and the justifier of the wicked or are you going to say, no God, I'm righteous and I didn't deserve that? Now think about that. Think about when we have accusations in our heart toward the Lord. I didn't deserve that. It shouldn't have gone that way for me. God goes, I think I know 
how to bring you to righteousness. I think I know what's best for you. But we try to justify ourselves, and in the process, we condemn God. Beloved, I tell you what, I want to be the one that shows up and goes, God, I may not understand anything, but you're good, and your ways are good, and you know what you're doing. You're right, I'm wrong, yes, sir. But how often do we show up and we go, God, what's your deal? Don't you know? I'm trying to serve you. I'm good. He goes, little buddy, that's just it. You are not good. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to press all that not good junk right out of you. We go, God, I'm going through the press. Why are you doing this to me? He goes, because you don't know your own heart. You're innocent, and I'm trying to get you innocent. I'm trying to press the junk out of you. That's why Paul uses this topic of justification to go on into this later discussion of glorying and tribulations. Because you've got to know this idea of God's kindness and his proclamation of innocence over you when you're going through challenges and trials. The man who justifies himself before God rejects God's operation of justification. And therefore, he'll ultimately be be condemned by God. What it comes down to is this, beloved. I just want to say, you know what, God? Whatever's happening in my life, you're right. You're right. You're good. Be it unto me according to your will. You are the one who's just and the justifier. See, we see this in Job. Job says stuff like this to the Lord. Like in Job 23, he says, if he'll just show up, I'll make my case known to him. He goes, I'll fill my mouth with arguments. <laughs> oh, really, Job? Wow, you're, wow. And then God shows up in chapter 40, and in verse 7, he says, <laughs> to Job, now gird up your loins like a man. <laughs> he goes, get ready. If I were to say that, I'd say, put your football uniform on because I'm about to hit you. <laughs> gird up your loins like a man. He goes, I will ask you. And you instruct me, Job. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Do you see how that's the struggle of our lives? Agreeing with God's judgments. Agreeing with God's activities. For the unsaved person, it's, will you agree that you're wicked and you deserve hell, but God is good and he'll justify you? Will you agree? For the believer, it's, will you agree that you need to be sanctified? And God is all about seeing you brought to purification. Will you agree? It's the same argument, same struggle for the saved and the unsaved. And how often do we love to condemn God and justify ourselves? And we say it this way, I don't deserve that. David, he gives us the right heart heart posture in Psalm 51. 
I'm landing. In verse 2, he says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. The one who justifies is 100% just and he's justified in all that he does in our lives. Beloved, that's the right heart attitude. That's the right heart posture. But oh, it's so good because he's good. He's good. We're justified by faith. Proclaimed innocent by faith. The verdict over your life is innocent. It's innocent. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and let's stand. Justified. I love this. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Justified by faith, having peace with God. These verses, they build on one another. These phrases, they build on one another. You are innocent. Some of you, you struggle with your your position before God because you're aware of your sin. And the Lord is just wanting you to know that He sees you as innocent. He sees you as innocent. Innocent. This is a cornerstone of our faith. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, vindicating and yet not vindicating, justifying and yet not justifying. You're good, Lord. You're good, Lord. You're good, Lord. And we've got to ask ourselves the question, have we quit trying to justify ourselves? And have we allowed God to justify us? Have you quit trying to justify yourself? Have you, have you admitted that you need help, that you're broken, and you need God to justify you? That's 
what this life is about. He's the justifier of the wicked. Through his blood. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray, impress these truths upon our hearts. I pray, God, you would, you would put a little light on this truth that's the, one of the core realities of our salvation. Justified. Justified. It's not simply a legal reality. It's a love reality. Come, Holy Spirit.